Okay, friends, light topics on Practice Indies podcast today. Um, some years back when I started blogging about this studio and bringing it into existence, one of the first things I wrote about is, is was titled, Is God a Dirty Word? And the premise of the blog, if I can resurrect it from the archives, was simply to ask the question, do you need to believe in God to practice yoga? And I think this is a very charged topic, especially being centered in the Midwest, where we have very clear boundaries around what we can and cannot talk about with God. And I think uh, it's vital to the process and the practice of yoga. So I have uh, once again with me Nataraj Chaitanya to have this conversation and I'm honestly so excited. <laughs> I love this conversation. So, uh, <laughs> so let's lead with that question. In your opinion, is God a dirty word? Is God a dirty word? Well, I think to answer the question, is God a dirty word properly, we have to get on the same page. As when, when we say the word God, what do we mean? Mm. And when we engage with yogic practice, um, the wisdom traditions that come from India, Vedanta, Tantra, what God means is often very different than the idea of God that we grew up with in the West. So I think it's important to examine what does God mean from a yogic perspective, and then we can circle back to is God a dirty word or not. Ooh, let's do it. Okay, so in some of the earliest yogic scriptures, like the Yoga Sutras of Patanjali, we come across the word Ishwara. And Ishwara points to a personal but unnamed aspect of divinity. Ishwara comes from the root word Ish, which means to have extraordinary power and sovereignty. So it means the Lord or the center of the circle. Mm. Uh, and the, the main point of the Yoga Sutras of Patanjali is to cultivate a quality or virtue or practice of Ishwara Prandhanam, which means surrender to God, surrender to the Lord. But when we say God in a yoga context, what are we talking about? And so if we look at where we stand now and where we want to get to, we can start to figure out what is the difference between us and God, okay? And so the yogis, they thought that nature was made up of consciousness awareness itself and that it existed in an unconditioned or totally free state it was spontaneous and because it was unconditioned it could do and become anything and so when that awareness and energy and ability became everything it became condensed and it became conditioned and so for the world to have structure, God had to forget itself. And so we are the result of that, the, of the unmanifest moving to the manifest, of God playing hide and seek with itself. So God is this unconditioned, awake, aware reality. The yogi is a worshiper of awareness or consciousness. And it's the ingredient that you can add to anything that makes an experience divine. When we add awareness to something, 
it elevates it to a spiritual level. Can I share something on that? Yeah. Uh, Joseph Campbell, who, you know, searched the world for myths and common themes in all of our world's myths and religions and languages. Uh, Someone asked him, you know, through it all, how do you make something sacred? And he said, draw a circle around it. Yeah. our frame of reference is our our mental attitude is what allows us to experience heaven or hell moment to moment you know if there is a heaven or hell and it can't be experienced right here right now it doesn't exist all we the yogi understands all we have is now and the thing that prevents us from experiencing the height of what it is to be human our own divine essence nature is the conditioning of our mind which are tensions that we accumulate as we live. Our mind creates a long list of likes and dislikes that keep us trapped in samsara, the cycle of duality. And we become a slave to our unenlightened desires. We have such knee-jerk reactions to everything that it perpetuates suffering. God, from a yogic perspective, is just not suffering. It's just existence what they refer to as Satchidananda. So God is that ultimate reality, Sat, truth, lightness of being, Chitta, consciousness, worthy embodiment of ancient wisdom, and Ananda, which means bliss clarity. It's often just translated to mean bliss, but bliss is kind of a basic bitch word. <laughs> it really, it, the idea, it, the, the word Ananda really comes from, like, if you see... If you see something in a way where it brings a contented feeling of clarity to you, like an excellent work of art, it's like a word that talks about like aesthetics almost, mm. uh, that's ananda, bliss clarity. Mm. And so that is what is divine, and we have the ability to experience that. God is a verb, and it's a quality of consciousness. It's a quality of the mind, and it's also the container for everything. So that being said... Mm. If that, if we aren't behaving or operating from that experience, what happens? Suffering. And part of the yogic process is this learning how to surrender to or add the ingredient of awareness. Drop the tension so that you might expand, not into something greater than what you are now, but into what you already are. Mm. And so the idea is that without having to wait for crisis, we recognize in our current state, we're kind of helpless. We're a slave to the fluctuations of our mind or our tensions or our compulsions or our fixations. And so we recognize that right now we're stuck and what we're doing is we're offering up that tension in a very systematic way. We're making it an offering. And in the offering, in the act of offering, all that we have in the present moment back to life, it's kind of alchemized or transformed by looking that tension straight in the face it relaxes and we expand and it's that expansion that's god and it's beyond good or bad so is god a dirty word yes but is it a clean word also yes Mm -hmm. like there is nothing that is not that from the yogic perspective and so it presents itself in all kinds of ways the hindu deities are sometimes quite ferocious looking or or, um, they're wrathful in their Mm -hmm. nature. And it's the idea is like sometimes to be 
to, to really create a catalyst for change, we have to be shocked or poked or provoked, or we have to be met with the kind of gross aspects of what it is to be human. We have to be met with tragedy sometimes or war or loss. And that's where we find the, that's where we find the impetus to really make the change or to drop the act or the tension and just grow. Mm. Mm. That's really good. Um, couldn't we also say, I mean, I think of like war in the most, uh, you know, historical context from like a white Western perspective, like Helen of Troy, you know, often those things also are expressions of love, of deep love, of even the most gross, you know, Durga, Kali, some of these more ferocious Hindu deities and goddesses are often deep expressions of love. Yeah, so, like fierce grace or like, yeah, or like radical waking up. Yeah, like can we, I think in the West we tend to look at good, bad, right, wrong, you know, these dynamics of polarity, but that, you know, sometimes the most tragic, the most horrific is yet in another expression of love, of God, and that if we, to your point, you're saying God is a dirty word, but it's also not, you know, that everything is an expression of God. Totally. And, and I think from a Western perspective, that's very hard to grasp because it's easier, it's easier to digest. There's a good and there's a bad. There's it a right and there's a wrong. It keeps us comfortable. And, the, and the, the yogic idea of God is that it's unconditioned. It's you stepping out into the radical space of the unknown. It's you putting yourself in that big question mark and not choosing the us versus them right versus wrong good versus bad mentality but you understanding that every experience as it unfolds if met with the right quality of mind can be nourishment Mm. and that the yogi worships what unfolds however it unfolds so a teacher of mine once said this is as god as it gets Mm. And it's up to you what your experience of that is like. Hmm. And if, if you just believe that we are born, we engage in survival tactics, we have sex, and then we die, like, what's the point? You know, to be a yogi is to be in pursuit of a vision of the highest truth. And it, without that belief that something greater is happening, there's no point in putting yourself through the yogic ringer. You know, yeah. to practice yoga is to put yourself in a crucible. You're going to be totally melted down. You're going to be uncomfortable. You're going to be met with your own tension, all the ways that you have inherited that tension. And you're going to be asked to let go of it, which is going to make you super uncomfortable. And that process itself is also God. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think one of my favorite Patanjalian uh, sources of yoga is tapas or austerity burning something down to its purest form and i think that that teaching is often so disliked by people that like you know if that's the theme of the class or whatever that we're going to do things that will that will intentionally put you in an uncomfortable place because that is where that is the process of unfoldment and and yeah i think that is not a a thing that uh, I don't think everybody seeks that. We had a conversation off of the podcast that was like, you know, this isn't 
our catchphrase used to be yoga is for everybody. And I think with body emphasized, sure, like physically yeah. awesome that it could be, but yoga is not for everybody in all lowercase, meaning that like you have to be willing to seek this if you're willing to go into the crucible. Knowing right. that you're gonna go in, you might be there for an undetermined amount of time. Yeah. You know, I'm in a personal place in my own life that like I'm in that. And and I've chosen this path because I because I believe in the process. And I've had students ask before, like, can you practice yoga and not believe in God? My answer is no. And I would love to hear your answer. I'm going to agree with you. I mean, in the tradition I come from, that ultimate reality that we could call God is referred to as Shiva. Shiva. And Shiva, the literal translation for Shiva is auspiciousness. And, like, we live in a culture that loves to think of, like, how we are somehow, like, hashtag blessed. Like, somehow one moment is better than the other. Mm. The yogic understanding is no moment is better than any other moment. Mm. And what we're trying to do is, like, live in such a way where we can be receptive. Dharma, my teacher, Dharma Mitra, used to say all the time, be receptive to the grace of God. There's no moment that is any more auspicious than the other. It's all auspiciousness. The universe is totally drenched in loving awareness. And, like, we're, for us to really experience that it it takes a herculean feat of pulling our own head out of our own ass like <laughs> it's and it's you know we live in a society that wants us to keep it there mm-hmm. and like you society our parents you know the t- the age that we grow up in it set up this like obstacle course for us to move through and the yogi sees you know, promising us some kind of happiness or some kind of attainment or some kind of status or some kind of power. And the yogi looks at that obstacle course and they're like, why would I do that? I don't even want what you're offering me. Mm -hmm. You know, like the yogi rejects that and they're like, there is a higher level of reality that is to be experienced and it's contained in its fullness inside of my own being. So why the hell would I do any of that? You know, it's Mm -hmm. like, and that comes at a cost but the reward is total freedom and empowerment. Hmm. <laughs> but it's a high risk, high reward uh, thing to engage in. Yeah, and I mean, it goes back to like the, I think the the phrase that often rings for me is like living in the messy middle of it all because, you know, the uh, the easy thing is to go after, you know, citing the Bhagavad Gita, the easy thing would be to say, this is my goal. I'm going to go at it with as much vigor and intensity as possible. And then you can arrive at the thing, right? But once we arrive at the thing, then there's more of the thing, right? you know, instead of being... Or that thing is very, very temporary. Yes. Yeah. (laughs) And then it's gone and then you're back to where you started. Yeah. And I've always found, even though, you know, we do a ton of goal setting here that that the process of that, the process of yoga is not the thing, but the process that being in the process is the messy middle. And that's the most uncomfortable thing. And it goes back to good, bad, right, wrong. Like it's easier to just leech for the thing, right? Instead of just be in the process and the unfoldment of that and go against what is served to you as the truth. And we have to get comfortable with the eternal now. And what that means for us. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like our tension dictates our current situation, which dictates like how much power we have in any moment. And so like, if this is really all we have, 
and this is what you've got to work with, that could probably feel really uncomfortable for you if you're in a situation you don't want to be in, especially if it's out of your control. Mm. So the yogic idea is like, recognize that there's only so much you can control, discipline the things you can, and then what you can't, surrender to that supreme primordial intelligence and build a relationship with it. Mm. And if you do that, whatever you give your identity to, you gain the identity of. Right, so the idea with deity yoga practice is by giving your identity to God, you gain the power and ability of God. And so that's what the yogi's really after. We're learning how to become comfortable with our own infinite power and grace. So can you speak to, because I, I think there is this uh, culture shift that's odd, where you'll walk into a yoga studio and you know there will be images of a deity, but perhaps it's never explained how that plays into it and you know some of it is just colonialism at its finest and some of it is tied to the culture and and yoga being situated not just in hinduism but in in jainism and buddhism and then in vedic culture which you know is even before that right what would you say to someone who their first time going into a studio they see an image of ganesh or they see what would you say for them to consider or embrace or think about yoga is a process of making conscious contact with things so nothing is arbitrary the deities that you see are maps and mirrors and they are a lens for you to understand the infinite ability that you are and so what that means is through the through the myths of the piranhas through the legends that surround these deities we come to know about the various, not only just ourselves as archetypes that exist in the world, but as forces of nature and energy. And so the, the idea from the yogic tradition is that all of these deities are you. There is only one truth, one ultimate reality, and it can be perceived through a bunch of different lenses. It's all you. So when you see um, acts of devotion or like a little altar or called a puja set up at the front of a yoga studio the idea is in that you're somehow trying to pray to some god to placate it so you get what you want it's not like a bargaining system from a yogic perspective it's you learning about your own consciousness and there and in doing so adding that awareness that consciousness into your life so you have power so you live an empowered life so, you know, when you walk in or you hear bhajans or mantras to different deities or you see them shown around the studio, get curious about what they mean. Start to contemplate yourself in the myths that you hear around them. Recognize that they are you. Mm. How would you um, address, especially being in the Midwest, your Christianity is the predominant faith? How would you address somebody who might be grappling with like how do I practice yoga with this as my faith background and and not feel um, conflicted or contrasting views? Just because your environment has expressed itself a certain way doesn't mean that your own inner disposition has to change. Mm -hmm. And that's a big part of yoga too. Like we can't really control our environment all that much, but your feeling of love or reverence or devotion that's up to you to hold. That's a inner state that you can hold at all times. It doesn't matter what you believe or how it's expressed. 
What matters though is like what you practice and what inner state you cultivate. So you could engage with yoga, in my opinion, as as a Christian. You know, in some of the Gnostic Gospels, Jesus goes as far as to say that the kingdom of heaven is within. That's the same idea. It's the same arrow that yoga is pointing us inward. It's like heaven and hell are in the mind. Do you think by invoking and practicing mantra in Sanskrit... I've had someone ask me before, like, I feel like I'm casting spells and I'm doing that in a, you know, in a non, um, in a, in a, a tradition that does not land in balance with my faith and being a Christian. Do you feel that that is like a, an accurate, accurate perception of that or? I mean, I, I do because it smells to me like fundamentalism at work. Mm. If you're saying that this is the only way to do this, or if you don't do this, then this, that's power dynamics at play. And that's a system of oppression at work. Mm. Now, that's a hot take i understand but like if your faith doesn't lead to an expansion of your heart that is accepting for all people or your spiritual practice doesn't arrive at that space there's fundamentalism and that's a system of oppression at work and so it doesn't mean love the sin or hate the sin either it means like you have to love everyone indiscriminately like it's non-dual yoga is if you're going to engage with yoga you're signing up for non-dualism you're signing up for you're signing up for love above all else in all states in all times in all conditions everything is motivated by that Ugh, that is so good because i also think that gives at least me guidance when i have those conversations to then say like this also might not be for you you and know? that's okay, yeah. Because you know, I think sometimes it is the like, oh, it's for everybody. And again, it's, I, I don't know that that is, I, I used to believe that. And I don't know that I believe that anymore. I think our tensions are an invitation into inquiry. Totally. Oftentimes we're operating from value systems or traditions or practices that maybe we haven't ever critically examined. Mm-hmm. So when we feel tension come up, that's instead of just having knee-jerk reactions, I think it's... The yoga thing to do is get curious about how you suffer or why you're tense. Mm -hmm. Not to write a new narrative around it, but, like, you know, are those tensions really your own? Or did you inherit them from your ancestors? Is this a system of oppression at work? Or is this something that I honestly feel like isn't for me? And not everything has to be for you. Mm -hmm. And that's totally fine, too. But if, if you can engage with this the system of yoga as it exists with a feeling of openness it's an incredible worldview and practice that can put an end to your suffering hmm. interesting because buddhism is a what do they call it it's non-theist non-theist yeah. yes um, and there's a concept in Buddhism of uh, the near enemies of the truth. Yeah. Can you talk about kind of the, the contrast of like getting curious about the things that bring you tension, but then also the near enemies of the truth, the things that might. Yeah. So near enemies of the truth are kind of like our spiritual platitudes that kind of get tossed around. They point in the direction of a, of a real wisdom teaching, but then ultimately miss the mark. Mm. So, 
Um, one is like follow your bliss. Follow your bliss is like like a near enemy of the truth for sure. Um, Joseph Campbell later went on record as saying like he wished he had never said that. What the sacred circle? The the um, follow, your, follow bliss. your bliss. Oh, I didn't he, know he, he said was that. The one who originally said it. No, I didn't know he, that. Yeah, years later he said he wished that he had never said it because it had become so, taken out of context. Yeah. And, yeah. But you know, it's like when we talk about bliss, what are we really talking about? Are we talking about enjoyment? Follow your pleasure. Are we talking, you know, what brings you happiness? Mm -hmm. Because if the quality of your consciousness is all fucked up, say you're like, you struggle with addiction, you know, you following your bliss could be very deadly or very harmful. So what do we talk, it's important that we analyze the, the wisdom that we're receiving and the traditions we're engaging with so that we can all get on the same page and we can arrive at the experience that we're intended to have. So you know, in the yoga context, what do we mean when we say bliss? And what does it mean to follow that? I'm like, you know, following your bliss might, might meaning like you are behaving in a way that is in service of your highest, greatest good, which probably is the opposite of following your own compulsions <laughs> and karmas mm-hmm. and some scars. So, you know, it's, it's you building discernment and doing real practice that are going to help you continue on any path, whether it leads you to practicing yoga or not. I should hope that you, you know, you, you bring your awareness, your full emotional toolbox to every situation so you can think about it. <laughs> well, I think one of the reasons I ask that is because, you know, often we will land at near enemies of the truth either when we when we get curious about something enough, but then if we were to keep getting curious, it would land us in discomfort or tension. Right. Um, but then also, if you're pulling away from something because it, it is such a discourse with your knowing that you land in the things that are comfortable, I think they all lead to kind of the near enemies of the truth, that the practice is dynamic and, and our lives are dynamic, that we're constantly uncovering or remembering and that process, you know, bliss again has been defined, I think, poorly often, which is like bliss doesn't mean that you're in this like perfect space and it's and you're done. You know, yeah. that it's this evolving it's, it's this evolving thing and that um balance is like a moving point. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I think sometimes when either we pull away from something or we get really drawn into something, we keep seeking this perfection or this balance, forgetting that those things can be arrived at only to continue to move. They continue to to vibrate. We totally. talk about our yoga of sounds, like existence is vibratory, if that makes totally. sense. Totally. And also I think it's like as you start to figure out what's for you and what's not, like there are systems that play to help call you on your shit and mm-hmm. also help you when you need it. Like the yoga tradition is so exquisite because you're engaging in a time-tested wisdom tradition with a teacher and doing real practice if you're if the other two things are in check. Mm-hmm. You know? And when you have those three things in check, it's a systems of checks and balances that ensures your growth. Mm-hmm. So when you are coming up against moments of being uncomfortable you can weigh your experience against the wisdom tradition or the wise counsel of your teacher. And what you're trying to go for is an experience 
where all three of those things are in agreement. Mm-hmm. And that's how you know you found God or you found reality or you've, you've hit the jackpot, the sweet mm-hmm. spot of your practice. The scriptural tradition checks out, the, the words of your teacher check out, and your, your lived experience, embodied experience. What do you think, um, what could you offer as a, a practice of, we, we sort of started this episode with Ishwara Pranidhana. What could be an expression of that or a practice of that? You can try and cultivate devotion. Try and cultivate devotion in your heart. And maybe it means um, through the practice of darshan, like finding something that you look at every day that cultivates a feeling of honest love inside of you. And maybe it's like a special corner of your home, the idea of like puja, like light a candle every day in some space. And then try and extend that loving feeling out into the world. It's that loving feeling that the yogi understands is, is the divine. It's the divine at work through you in its fullness. So try and cultivate devotion and like really examine your own ideas about what God is. Mm. Are they imported beliefs? Are they inherited values? Are they yours? Like what do you feel is sacred? And if you continue to move towards what you feel is sacred, what makes you feel alive and loving, you'll end up right where you're supposed to be. Well, thank you. This was divinely inspired.